What is up, all you random people on the internet? We are back here on Everything EOS, and we have got a fire episode for you all this weekend. We talk Rex for All, Referendum, Virtual Reality, Decentralized Uber, and the path to mainstream adoption. Everything EOS is made possible by my core sponsor, Cypherglass, and today's episode is also being brought to you by Pixios, where games and art collide. As internet culture and the digital age continue to grow and expand, more and more of our communication is done through some form of online art. How many times a day are you sending GIFs and memes to your friends and family? With Pixios, digital artists can create original pieces of work and convert them into non-fungible tokens that can be bought and sold online. Just imagine if you're the artist who creates the next famous internet meme and you've got the original to prove it. Using the Pixios Gallery and Pixios Art House, creatives can publish their art and even get commission requests for visual arts and creative media services. Head over to Pixios.io to see the featured artists already displaying their work. Get in on the art gamification platform that's changing the future of digital art. Pixios, where games and art collide. What's going on, everybody? We are so glad you're back. Don't forget to like this Ooh, video, yeah. subscribe, or leave a five-star review, depending on where you are watching and listening. But uh, let's go ahead and jump right into it. All right. So last week's episode, we did it again, Rob. Uh, we, yeah, we, we, we do it. We do an episode about something that, that needs like the last couple votes for, and then before we even get the episode out, it happens. Yes. Uh, so referendum has passed. So w what's that mean to you as a block producer? Yeah, so referendum is basically a way of just determining what the EOS token holders actually want the block producers to do. Um, so it's kind of a way of decentralizing governance from those you know top 21 block producers out to any single person that owns an EOS token. So if you have 10 EOS tokens, you can vote on different polls and different referendums to basically say, hey, yes, I do want this thing to happen or no, I do not want this thing to happen. So it's an awesome way to have your voice heard within the EOS community on important issues. If we want to make um, a system-wide change, like a constitutional change, where we want to move funds or, or, or change a governance rule, uh, that would require a referendum, and then that would signal to the block producers what the token holders want. And then from there, uh, hopefully 15 out of the 21 actively producing block producers would approve um, whatever code was required to uh, implement the referendum. And yeah. the, the code's an important part, and we'll get into that with uh, the proposals in a bit. Um, but what, what's required to pass the referendum is it requires a minimum of 15% participation. So there's about 906 million circulating tokens if we exclude block one, but let's for simplicity say uh, 1 billion tokens. So at minimum, 150 million tokens are going to either vote yes or no on a proposed uh, referenda. Um, and then the other rule is that there has to be at least a 10% advantage uh, between the yeses and the noes. So let's use the example of 150 million tokens. Uh, we would need at least 10% of those tokens to be voting yes, and we would also want 5% of those tokens saying no. So it's, it's really interesting, Rob. What do you think about the fact that it's almost good? If you want to pass a referendum, sometimes it's good to have people voting no. Isn't that it? Oh, definitely. Well, and that was the biggest part that I was confused on that I actually got wrong in the video. And thanks to Josh from EOS Canada for pointing that out and helping me add an annotation to the video to correct it. But essentially, you can just think as long as 55% of all of the tokens voted towards a proposal are voted yes, it will pass, assuming there are 150 million tokens mm -hmm. or more voted towards it. So that's the 10% difference, like 55 and 45. I originally thought it was more of a two-thirds vote. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it works. So the 30-day uh, continuous day is important, too, um, because you have to maintain that advantage. So at least 150 yeah. tokens. So if it drops below 150 million tokens, even for a, a, a block or a day, then it starts over. Is that correct yeah. as far as you know? Yeah, as far as I know, that's correct. Um, EOS Canada's FAQ is like the, their frequently asked questions page is probably the best place to, to answer mm -hmm. any of these questions if you guys are, you know, want to really dive deep on it. Um, but that's the way I understand it. So you need those 150 million tokens. You need at least, you know, 55% of those tokens voted yes. And then in addition to that, they have to stay voted yes with that many tokens voted towards it for 30 days consecutively for it to actually pass. Um, it is possible, however, it's, it's good to note, you know, because 
This doesn't really require or force the block producers to act in one way or another. Obviously, the block producers should act in the interest of the token holders and do what they want. But assuming, let's say, you know, it got to day 29 and then all of a sudden, you know, a big whale removed their vote and it dropped mm -hmm. below. So we didn't quite hit that that 30 day mark. The block producers could still go out. 15 out of the, out of the top 21 could go out and say, hey, we're going to push this through anyway, because clearly there was enough community support for, you know, 29 days or whatever it was. I'd personally love it if that happened because that, that's shown yeah. initiative. And I, I think uh, there's been a lot of walking on eggshells among a lot of the block producers and probably for good reason. No one wants to, to lose their position by pissing the wrong people off. But <laughs> it, I, I think with the referendum in, in the situation you explained would be it, it would give them more. I, it doesn't give them official authority, but I think from from a like community standpoint looking in, it would be more acceptable if they took the initiative to make a major system-wide change if it was just so so like a hair away from from passing a referendum but something weird happens that that makes it not pass absolutely um, yeah so it, it's only been the referendum's only been live since what what last thursday or friday we're recording this on wednesday yeah, exactly. And I think it went live uh, the very next day as you were editing. So <laughs> as is the case with all of these, it's only been around for a little while, but we've seen pretty good voter participation. Do you want to walk through? Yeah, some of the existing I, I was going to ask you uh, what you yeah. thought about the participation so far. Is it doing better, worse or about what you expected after a week? Honestly, I think it's about what I expected for a week, maybe a little bit better. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of very pessimistic, like, oh, we're never going to get 15% of the, the tokens out to vote. If that was the case, we wouldn't have a mainnet right now, because I think a lot of people forget that we needed 15% of tokens back then before anybody really knew what wallet to use, before anybody really knew how to send a transaction. Before all of this infrastructure was in place, we managed to get 15% of all token holders to vote to actually unlock the mainnet. So I think now, considering the amount of people that have their wallets set up, the amount of people that use their wallets on a daily basis, I think it's going to be, you know, maybe quicker to get some of these referendums passed than that initial vote to unlock the mainnet. But for a week, you know, it, it's going to take a lot of education because I think right now a significant portion of the EOS token holders still don't know that this tool even exists. You know, if you're not keeping up in Telegram every single day, mm -hmm. you know, checking the news, if you're not watching this podcast every week, you know, you should be. But if you're not, then you don't <laughs> even know something like this exists. So I think it's going to take a little while for this to get out there. But with that being said, if we look at, you know, the top proposal right now, which is decaf to basically remove ecaf from power um they're 10 percent of the way there to you know out of 100 percent to get to their 15 percent. so they basically have that 1.5 percent out of the 15 percent mm -hmm. voted already um which looks like almost 15 million eos are already voted towards this proposal so that i think is pretty great for less than a week when most people don't know it exists most people are kind of waiting to see what happens and i think this will only increase you know over the next week as more and more people get educated one, one reason a couple of these top proposals we're going to uh, discuss today, one of the big reasons that they, they got so many votes so quick is because a few major proxies voted on them. Right. Uh, so I see a, uh, on the delete ECAF, in, investing with a difference, investing WAD uh, username, that's 631,000 EOS. Uh, Luke EOS proxy, which is 1.3 million uh, EOS Titan vote. So there, there's some big accounts. So it's not it's a lot of token holders if you include the ones that are proxying to the proxy, but overall it, it's probably, I don't have a number in front of me of how many actual accounts voted if you only count a, a proxy as one account. Uh, right. So there's still a lot of education to do, but I, I think it's pretty good though for just a week. And like you said, uh, yeah. your average token holder probably isn't in Telegram as, uh, as frequently as some of the people watching the show are, we, especially as we are. Um, so... Are you, did you vote on that one yet? Are you in favor of deleting ECAF? I am in favor of deleting ECAF, yeah. I definitely am. <laughs> just, just, just clarifying. So we'll, we'll get into a, a little bit about what, what's included, what needs to be included for a referendum to pass and actually get implemented, and that's going to be the code. Yep. But on something like this, would this just be amending the Constitution, essentially? Because ECAF, like what code exists to... Uh, provide I, ECAF authority, or is it mostly right just now, constitutional? 
Yeah, right now I think it's 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 only constitutional. So I mean, you could remove that article from the constitution, but I think what this would do more than anything is, you know, most block producers right now are not processing any requests from ECAF because the token holders have kind of said to all the block producers, "Hey, you know, this is a a potential centralized attack vector. It's a centralized part of the system. We don't really want this." So the block producers haven't really been enforcing ECAF's power anyway. But assuming this passes, it will kind of send a signal to all the block producers, including the ones who haven't come out, you know, against it or for it, basically saying, "Hey, you know, you don't have to worry now. Don't approve any of the ECAF stuff because the token holders have explicitly said not to. So it should just give more mm -hmm. clarity to everybody that's, you know, involved in this system. So the second uh, most highly voted referendum is the one that we actually want to recommend to everyone watching this to vote on. I think the Rex for All proposal is by far uh, the best proposal currently on the referendum. Um, you want to introduce what it is to everybody? Yeah, so Rex for All, you know, just like we talked about, when the block producers are going to touch any kind of funds on the mainnet, they need to get the token holders' approval. That's it's really something that has to happen. Um, Rex for All will basically take all of the fees in the EOSIO RAM fees account and in the name bidding account, which is all the premium names like .xyz, .vr, .com, things like that. It'll take all of those fees that are in these system accounts and redistribute it to people who are, you know, staking their tokens to Rex, who are voting for a specific number of block producers, which I think is yet to be determined. Um, right now, actually, in this proposal, it says uh, it will be for people who just lend or borrow uh, CPU and net resources. So I think those that are lending into it will get a percentage of those fees based on how much EOS they actually lend into the system. Um, so it's basically that proposal. If you saw our EOS AMA on the Cypherglass channel with Kevin Rose from EOS New York, he was talking about, hey, the first proposal is essentially, do you want free money? This is the yep. proposal that we're voting on. Just pretend the title says, do you want free money? Vote approve. And hopefully we can get to the point where this will pass and we can implement this because Rex is going to bring so many benefits other than just free money to people. It should do a lot for the network and the resource allocation overall. I, I agree. So I, I think that's a good way to explain it to people is, do you want free money? Yes or no? What's interesting about this Rex proposal, you know, titled Rex for All, is that they actually have the code in there that the block producers need to implement. So with a lot of these referendums, it's sort of unclear. You know, if this passes, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, well, what code do we push? What do we do? But fortunately, the Rex for All has very clear instructions to the block producers that if this passes, hey, this is the variable you need to change in the code to make something like this possible. So a huge shout out to the person that, um, or persons, I don't know, that actually proposed this Rex proposal because they did it the right mm -hmm. way. They included code, included very clear instructions, and it's in multiple languages, uh, English, Chinese, and Korean, which I think is great to include everybody in the EOS community in these votes. So that brings us to the third current most popular referendum at the time of uh, this recording. And that yeah. is because of Brendan Bloomer talking about it recently, should... <laughs> I don't know. This, this wouldn't even be here. This wouldn't even be a thing if that wasn't uh, mentioned like a week or two ago. But anyway, should the voting weight be changed to one token, one vote? And it has incredible support. At, at the time of this recording, 94% are voting yes and 6% wow. are voting no. And there's 11.6 million votes for that. Now, it's basically just an idea that's proposed to referendum is, do you want this? Sure. But hypothetically, let's say this is the first referendum to pass, and I hope it's not. What happens next? Like, right. so it, it gets the 150 million votes, more than 10% of them are yes. Now the block producers all look at each other and they say, well, how do we actually implement this? Because there's no code associated with this. It hasn't been tested. It hasn't been audited, like security audited. So that's what's wrong with some of these referendums and there, there needs to be an educational component. That's what we're going to try to trying to do today to let the general community know of uh, the right way and the wrong way to propose a referendum. If you want to propose anything yourself, um, Brent, I'm going to mess his name up here. Uh, Brandon Espinoza uh, from strong block. He actually put out a really, really good document called the best practices yeah. for writing a referendum. It's like 16 pages long. But it, this is, it, if we want to take this type of governance serious, we have to be serious with our proposals because yeah. it's going, I, I believe if this one token, one vote were to pass, that it's going to be a doomsday scenario and we're, we're going to see all the Cointelegraph and Coindesk FUD saying that everyone wanted to change something and the block producers refused to. But it, right. it's not that they refused to, it's because we don't have the code, it hasn't been tested and it, it, I think it would just cause a big issue. What do you think? 
Absolutely. And there was there were other proposals I saw too, not just the one token, one vote, which is, you know, the third most popular referendum right now, or I guess you could call that one a poll since there are really no specific instructions. But somebody on Twitter, I forget who it was, basically had like this complex feature request like, hey, do you think we should add this feature to the mainnet? <laughs> and while it was a cool feature and I was like, yes, this makes sense. It was like, well, how do you how are you going to implement that? Have you written the code for it? Are you proposing mm -hmm. that, you know, the block producers allocate funding to it through the worker proposal system? And if so, that should really be for that future system, not the referendum. So I think when you're out there, if you're thinking about doing a referendum proposal, first, of course, read that document from uh, Brendan Espinoza and the other guys in there um, who made that document possible. But in addition to that, just think, you know, how is this going to be implemented? How, it, you know, do I have the code ready for this to be implemented? If not, maybe it's not time to propose that referendum. Maybe you need to go work with a developer um, or go about it in some other way so that, you know, if you get that 15% you know, of votes on your proposal, if it actually passes, that's pretty significant. And you don't want that to be wasted because you didn't write the proposal correctly in a way that can it can actually be implemented. So just make mm -hmm. sure you're writing it correctly so that when you do get those votes, boom, you know, the instructions are very clear and that can go live on the mainnet and actually be put into place instead of just kind of tossed out. Agree fully. Um, yeah. So that's why we like the, uh, uh, the RAM fee and the name auction fee, the Rex for all. Um, but as we're talking about this, Rob, I actually thought of something. It might be included in the Rex for all, but I, ha I haven't read all the code. Um, so the number four proposal right now says, should we burn accumulated unused inflation, which is the 4% of inflation that sits in EOSIO.savings? And a lot of people are in favor of that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still undecided on voting for that one. Same. But, but it reminded me of... The EOSIO.names account and the EOSIO.ram fees account has a shitload of EOS in it right now. Does that proposal mention what we're going to do with the EOS that's already in it? Because it'd be like a windfall of EOS. Like you couldn't just. I think that's the point. I think the basically whoever would be staked in that first round of recs, like that first 30 day recs, I think would get a, a significant amount of EOS, which is why if something like that passes, we should see voter participation skyrocket as well. And, you know, staking, staking amounts skyrocket because as everybody's coming in and leasing to recs, trying to get that, that big payout, because it would be pretty significant I, for everybody that, that was involved. I love that idea. Is that part of the proposal? Because I haven't even dug into it that far. It doesn't like, oh wait, should future EOS tokens, it says should future. Okay, so that's interesting. So reading the actual proposal, it says specifically, should future EOS tokens sent to EOSIO Ramphi and EOSIO names uh, be allocated to Rex? But it's unclear, you know, to your point, would they be burning that? Would that mm -hmm. go away? Would it be a big windfall? My initial uh, understanding was that it would be a big windfall for everybody who comes in on the first one. But this proposal looks specifically um, for future EOS tokens, not any mm -hmm. of the ones that are in those accounts now, which is kind of interesting. I kind of like that because it's less controversial because then we could decide what to do with the the lump sum sitting in the account later. We can get this right. faucet turned on for the recs and then deal with these additional funds later. Maybe we do want to burn them, but maybe we want to say, hey, we want to we're going to go on a month long communication campaign to say stake to the recs because we're going to drop all this bonus fees at, on this date. Absolutely. And well, and That'll make more sense to give people time so that it's not like, hey, you have a day to get in this first round. Like, you better stake your tokens, better hope they're ready to go. Whereas, like, you give people more time and then you can do that big mm -hmm. windfall later. Or to your point, I mean, that could be burned. It, it depends on what the users vote on. Yeah. So I guess let's ask the community, like, what do you think should happen? So I, everyone is in, in favor of Rex for All that I, that I know. But what, what do you think we should do with those additional funds? Should we burn them? Should we give them as an airdrop? Or not an airdrop, but like a bonus? Or what should we do? Yeah. Let us know. Well, I saw it. It was funny, I saw an interesting other proposal in here that said, basically, instead of burning the, the 4% inflation that's accumulated in the EOSIO.savings account, they were pro proposing that we evenly distribute it to all EOS accounts based on how much EOS oh, they hold. So that would be a massive windfall. But I, I am so against that because that, yeah. would, that would do horrible things to the token price and volatility yeah. and everything. So it's the, that's kind of a bad idea in my opinion. <laughs> but. So the last thing I wanted to discuss on referendum is actually a proposal that was made by Brandon Espinoza, who's uh, the one we mentioned earlier, who wrote the best practices for writing referendum. Um, right. He's with StrongBlock. Uh, he was a former governance something or other at Block One prior to mainnet launch. Um, but the Worker Development Fund, or EOS Commons Development Fund, it's not really being supported right now. But 
I believe it's because of a communications issue. Um, did you get a chance to read about it at all? You want to explain it to everyone? I have, so I, I understand what they're doing and I can give the overview, but before I vote on this, I need to look more into the budget and the proposal because it's very, very detailed in terms of what they would actually use the funding for. Mm -hmm. But essentially they're trying to do a, a smaller version, like sort of like a test version of the worker proposal fund by taking a million EOS out of the, I think 22 million EOS that have accumulated mm -hmm. in the EOSIO.saving account. That's that 4% inflation that's currently unused. There are some proposals voting that we burn that, but this proposal is saying, hey, you know, let's do a test before we dismiss worker proposals completely. Let's take a million EOS out of there, put it into this fund, and then use that to, you know, establish a committee and have people that vote on the different worker proposals that are proposed and all kinds of different stuff. So that overall concept I'm in favor of because I think I would personally love to see, you know, will those million tokens just get, you know, stolen by whales who are voting on these worker proposals in a, in, you know, bad mm -hmm. way, or will they actually go to real projects? And I would love to see that before I vote yes on this proposal. However, I do want to go through and review the budget to make sure that this isn't just something where the committee is taking all the money out of it. And then only, you know, a small portion of that will actually go to the token holders mm -hmm. based on the people that have proposed this. I doubt that's the case, but of course, you know, before we, we deal with moving a million EOS, we definitely got to go through and read the budget uh, before it's voted on. But once I take a look at that, you know, I'll definitely vote one way or the other so i actually had an episode one week when you weren't available i did it with uh josh kaufman from us canada and kevin rose from us new york back when we were just audio oh yeah and it was specifically on the worker proposal system which i was completely for at that time but i was never certain about all four percent of the inflation going towards it and right and then uh i think dan or block one someone came out someone came out from block one and kind of said they wouldn't uh what did they say do you remember like they wouldn't support the main net if it uh implemented the wps or something crazy not not explicitly that was kind of like the fud associated with it but they said something along the lines of like they weren't in favor of it uh brendan has recently come out and says he doesn't want it at the base layer um which you know something like the commons development fund i don't think well Technically, I guess it is at the base layer because it's using base layer inflation, which is what everybody is against. Mm -hmm. You know, people are saying you should get that money from somewhere else or use inflation from your, you know, DAP specific token or whatever it may be. So that I think is the biggest point of controversy here. Uh, right now, I'm not really sure if I am for or against this Commons Development Fund program, but um, I've always been in favor of a WPS like system. I just want to discuss it. Uh, research it and make a decision after that. And I haven't had enough time, yeah. uh, like you said, to research and look into this. Uh, today, it seemed like in the ES Proxies channel, there was a lot of talk about this. And I think on Ash Oro's show on EOS radio, they're going to bring on a group of people to discuss this. So I, I don't know when that's going to be scheduled, but I'll be tuning in because I, re I, I respect Brandon. And I'm really curious to learn more about this proposal from, from the people who proposed it. Definitely. Um, yeah, and speaking yeah. of uh, this House Commons Fund, it, it looks like EUS New York actually put out a recent um, alternative to it. Basically, you know, instead of taking that inflation like we were talking about and, and making it a base layer thing, EUS New York is instead proposing um, that we do it in a, a voluntaristic uh, manner. So that basically means that you would have people volunteer to contribute money to this system um, to fund, you know, different projects, maybe different projects that don't have a revenue model, whatever it may be, it would be a more volunteer style approach. What do you think of that, Zach? I think, um, so it'd almost be like a bounty program. So you, you'd post a bounty of something that you wanted to build that needed funding. And I think people would basically make donations in EOS towards specific projects. Is that how you interpret right. it? And it was modeled after something that the Monero community has done. Uh, Kevin, in his article, he uh, linked to this uh, Monero fund. And I was looking at the completed tasks on the forum that they post these bounties on. And it's not a lot of money. I, I don't have the math in front of me, but the projects that were funded were like 72 Monero, 47 Monero, hmm. uh, 67, 45. I, I, the 45, I think, was the highest one. I don't even know what the price of Monero is, but I don't think it's like more than 200 bucks. I think it's a lot less. Yeah, I can Probably check like for you. Bucks. Uh, $45. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know the <laughs> dates of these fundings, so they might have been higher when they were approved. But it's not a lot of money, right? So, so I, I think right. that it's a great idea. It's not as controversial as a WPS. So one way or another, we have to have some sort of community development funding because there's a lot yeah. of things that nobody is going to be incentivized to build if th there's not 
like uh, a way to get paid for your time, I guess, is the best way to say it. Just straight up, like people need to get paid for their work, especially if they're not a block producer, if they're just a, um, a strong developer in the community who could really add value to the network as a whole. How do they, how do they get funding for this project? Who should pay for that work? And I, I think right. one major thing to consider is in an absolute doomsday scenario, whenever we talk about this blockchain, the EOS mainnet, we want it to go on forever. We don't want this to end next year in three years or five years or 50 years. If we wanted to go on forever, we need to prepare for a worst case doomsday scenario. And that would be if block one would turn their back on the mainnet and not make contributions any further. What would happen then, Rob? Yeah, I mean, it, that's why I don't know. I lean sort of against burning the 4% inflation in EOSIO.savings. Right now, that's effectively not real inflation because nobody can touch those tokens. They're out of circulation and nobody will be able to touch them until we come to some kind of a consensus on what to do with them or, or, or what not to do with them, really. Um, but I would almost rather see that 4% just locked off in mm -hmm. perpetuity it, that, that could then be used in the event that something like you're talking about happens where, let's say, Block 1 goes off, they want to support a different project, maybe they you know, stop releasing code updates. Obviously, there are some people within the community that contribute to the core code as well, but Block 1 is by far the biggest core code contributor. So if they go away, which I think is highly, yeah, highly let, unlikely that, that, it, that it would that happen. Right now that we highly, yeah. highly doubt this would ever happen, but we're talking yeah, doomsday scenarios here. So let's just... Yeah, I think, you know, we could call it the doomsday fund, lock up that EOS or lock up half of the EOS or a quarter of the EOS, because there's really a lot in there right now, and basically say, hey, this is the doomsday fund in the event that we need to... To fund you know core code development or some emergency patch or an audit or whatever the case may be keep that as a doomsday fund just so that we don't run into the situation where it's like oh shit you know the, the biggest core contributor has pulled out but now eosio.savings is empty because four years ago we we voted to burn that and, and turn it off so i i'm just a little cautious of turning that off when we may need it in the future um, but i totally understand the people out there who are going whoa 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 you know five percent total inflation is too much that i totally agree yeah. Um, but maybe we could reduce it and keep it as an emergency fund. But I'm actually we'll fine with burning it if we don't turn it off. So we're basically just hitting the re it, we're just hitting the reset button and saying we think right. this is a lot of EOS. We want to just wipe it clean, but we don't want to turn that four percent off. And that could be because of a doomsday scenario. And maybe every year it could be voted on again. But once you turn off that inflation, there's never ever going to be a way to go back. There's no way if you ever wanted to increase inflation, especially adding a 4% inflation that may have been voted out, you'll never get that voted back in. So right. that's my well, thoughts on it. Well, it's important to note, you know, rereading this proposal with the ID burn saving that says, should we burn accumulated unused inflation in EOSI.saving, it actually specifically says that this would keep um, it would keep the faucet going. Oh. It would just wipe it out. And then there would need to be a separate proposal in the future to change that inflation rate or turn it off or reduce it. Um, so that's good. Yeah. You know, maybe I will will vote in favor of that and kind of hit the reset button and let it accumulate more EOS because it does accumulate a lot of EOS. Maybe it'll be good to, you know, burn it, get it out there. And also from a, you know, crypto marketing perspective, it wouldn't be the worst thing to have a regular token burn every six months or so, or every three mm -hmm. months where it's like, hey, you know that <laughs> those 25 million EOS that were there, well, now they're gone. And you know, now your EOS are, are worth more in the grand scheme of things and have more CPU power and, and all that like, good stuff. Like so it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. BNB does something like that. They do a regular burn and everyone gets all excited about it and it's like a big deal. Exactly. Um, yeah. So what did you think of the volunteeristic approach uh, written by EOS New York? Do you think of volunteer? I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that's something I don't think really needs a referendum because no. it's it's totally volunteeristic. Like they can build that themselves and put it into place. And then, you know, block producers can, whether it's 8, 11, or 15, like they're outlining in their proposal, they can go out and say, hey, we want to put a bounty up for, you know, this specific piece of code, or we want a bounty for, you know, a new worker proposal system dashboard, whatever the case may be. And then if you want to donate, you can. My biggest concern, of course, would be that donations would not be very high. Yeah. However, if the amount is low, let's say, you know, some proposals are between 100 and 1,000 EOS, I could totally see a, an event where if there's something that I'm passionate about, let's say there's a new feature that somebody wants to build and pay a developer to build, I could totally see myself funding some of that if it's not a lot of money, if it's like, you know, a couple thousand dollars. So I think there are probably other people out there in the ecosystem that would also be excited about certain proposals and get out there and actually put in the money to fund it. But I think if it's, you know, stuff that's boring or, or maybe, you know, hard for the average person to get excited mm -hmm. about, I think those will probably struggle to get funding. But I would love, you know, to see EOS New York go through with that and actually put out something 
something like that, because that could also serve as a very, you know, potentially successful version of the worker proposal system that doesn't touch inflation, is not base layer, which is sort of the main, you know, qualms people have with it. Speaking of EOS New York, uh, I saw they posted a tweet today that they upgraded themselves to like a bare metal hybrid infrastructure. You want to explain what that is? Yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're hybrid. It looks like they're still using some parts of the cloud. Um, I think they were on AWS or something like that before, but now their, their primary infrastructure is gonna be running on you know bare metal servers located in Africa, actually, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny to say EOS New York in Africa, <laughs> but it, it makes sense. We're, you know, we're if, global. If that's a place we're all that global they think, here. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And if that's a place, you know, I know they were they were big on looking at a map and seeing where other BP nodes were. And if that was a place that they thought, hey, there are not a lot of nodes here right now. Obviously, there is EOS Nairobi and I think EOS um, Nigeria, maybe it is. There's there's another one um, that's based in Africa, but they're so far down the yeah. list. Um, I don't even think that they're stand, standby blog producers right now. Um, but you know, it's, it's cool. I, I think it's awesome to have another person join the bare metal club. Obviously Cypherglass started out, you know, even before the mainnet with bare metal infrastructure to make sure that AWS couldn't turn our servers off to make sure that we had complete control over the infrastructure. But it's been so cool to see recently, um, not just EOS New York, but also people like Bitfinex switched to fully bare metal infrastructure. So now their node is running on it. They're good to go. I think even all of their infrastructure for their trading platform and for the upcoming EUS Phoenix uh, oh, decentralized exchange about that. will now also be on that same bare metal. So that's super exciting. Um, but, you know, huge shout out to EUS New York. Welcome to the bare metal club. <laughs> Even though it's still hybrid, um, I think we can we can sort of, you know, consider you part of that bare metal club. So that's awesome to see more block producers reinvesting uh, in the EUS ecosystem through infrastructure. So shout out to them. Awesome. So I, I like the idea. So like you said, uh, those other African block producers are not producing nodes, whereas EOS New York has never left the top 21. They're constantly producing and having geographic diversity that allows uh, the relays between the block producers to have like less mileage to go. It could potentially reduce latency. So isn't that kind of the value add of having a, a node in, in like where no one else does? Yeah, I think, you know, you're not really going to see a big difference with this. If anything, I think it might be more latency because there were no nodes there before to, to connect with. Although mm -hmm. you do have uh, EOS Israel up in Israel, so that that's relatively close and maybe who they relay with. But right now, the way that relays are set up, so the way that block production work is there's a 12 second period where, you know, block producer one is producing and then another BP is picked and they produce 24 blocks in that 12 second period. But right now you know, it's not set up in a way to mac or to, to minimize handoff latency, which is some, why sometimes, you know, if I pass, um, you know, if, if I hand off block production to the next block producer, they may miss a block if I have to go all the way around the world and it takes more than a half second for the, the data, the light mm -hmm. to actually transfer there. You know, you're limited by the speed of light in a lot of ways. So in the future, hopefully we will see a rework of that where we can maybe choose, you know, geographically the order in which the, the handoffs happen. Um, but right now, you know, because it's also still kind of random, it, it may not make a huge difference, but bare metal should make a difference um, in their overall performance. And I believe in the announcement post that EOS New York put out, they actually showed a graph yeah. of their performance before, and you could see their performance after. And, you know, hey, now they're on bare metal, they're, they're mm -hmm. on this infrastructure that they own, and boom, it was like their latency dropped. So that was awesome to see and, and really does go to show just how impactful bare metal infrastructure can be. When you own it, you can optimize it yourself. You can do anything you want with it. Um, you can make the EOS network faster and, and ultimately give people more CPU power just by upgrading your infrastructure. Uh, so as far to close out the geographic diversity, uh, the blocks are chosen randomly. So that actually wouldn't even work. Even if you had uh, everyone evenly split the whole way across around like the equator, let's say, it wouldn't matter because the block, the producing node is just going to jump around and it's not going to take geography into a, a factor, correct? Well, like I said, that, that's what I mean by like, hopefully there will be some kind of a rework in the future where we could, you know, either manually pick it, although there are some security yeah, issues with that when it comes to DDoS attacks. Um, but there, there has to be a better way for sure to do the handoff so that it's not jumping from... Um, you know, our node in, in, you know, when we're in the top 21, our node in Kansas City, to then somebody in Hong Kong, to then back to EOS Canada and Canada, to then back to Hong Kong. There has to be a better way, in my opinion. But right now, I mean, that's that's a, sort of a small fish to fry. That's that's not a big priority. So I'm mm -hmm. um, kind of pushing it off for the moment. So really, really big DAP news. We like to talk about DAPs on this show. Uh, yeah. Eva, who we've talked about before, they're the decentralized ride sharing application in, in, uh, in Canada. Uh, the city of yeah. Quebec just granted them authorization to operate in the city that is that's awesome enormous 
yeah. you, you've done a video on Eva before, so do you want to uh, yeah. explain it to everybody? Yeah, so the video I made on them last year was basically giving an overview of the platform, which is, you know, Eva, Eva Coop. Um, they're basically a competitor to Uber that incentivizes drivers, incentivizes riders in some pretty unique ways, um, but also charges lower fees than Uber. Most people don't know, Uber started with just a 5% fee to drivers. So, you know, the driver would get 95% of the fare. And over the last five years or so, Uber has actually increased their fee to 45%. So Uber is taking almost half of you know what the driver is is trying to make when in the past they were taking 120th of that so the fees have come up they're kind of crazy eva is trying to target that in a couple different ways with incentivization with lower fees um, but it's been pretty cool so far what i thought was interesting about this announcement was that when i made that video they were actually waiting for this approval then but basically said you know screw you guys you're <laughs> taking too long we're gonna go ahead and launch the beta anyway so they went ahead and did it they had you know hundreds of hundreds of riders uh, they onboarded a bunch of drivers I think that was probably a good period for them to show the government, you know, hey, this platform works, it's real, you know, drivers are using it that were previously driving for Uber, now they also have their Eva app up. And I think that's probably part of the reason why they now have the approval, similar to the Uber model where Uber was, you know, technically illegal and going against all these, you know, taxi regulations and, and things like that. And they basically said, you know, sorry guys, we're gonna do it anyway, we'll get your approval later. You know, ask for forgiveness, don't ask for permission. Um, so I think it's cool that, that Eva did it that way, and it, it's clearly working now that the Quebec government is officially authorizing them to, to go live, to, you know, pull the, pull the lid off the beta and make it a real product. Now, uh, to close out the Eva talk, I just want to play a short video from the Blockchain Live event back in London in, like, October, because it does a really good job of explaining how this is going to help with mass adoption. But a boom Eva is uh, ride-sharing on the blockchain. It's very similar to Uber, except because we run on the blockchain, we can offer a much lower fare to the rider and a much larger share to the driver. It works on uh, iOS and Android, very much like Uber. The user can search for their destination, uh, select it, and the fare is presented in their local currency. They pay in credit card directly integrated with Apple Pay or Google Google Store as an in-app purchase. We issue them tokens. Uh, they issue those tokens to the driver at the end of the ride. And at the end of the week, the driver returns those tokens to us and we exchange it for fiat so they can pay their bills. So speaking of dApps, high fidelity. Um, yeah. You've been telling me you've been playing a lot of this game. First, why don't you introduce what it is, and then let's talk about your experience, because it sounds a little mind-blowing to me. Yeah, <laughs> so I've been in high fidelity today for, I don't know, three hours trying to explore this VR world. I'll fill you in on what I was doing, um, filming some videos <laughs> for the Cypherglass channel that, that should be out soon, so subscribe to Cypherglass on YouTube if you're not already. But high fidelity itself is basically... Um, a, a social VR platform. So there are other platforms like that, uh, like this that exist, um, namely VR Chat, which is one you can download on the you know Steam Store. You can go in with your VR headset and you can sort of walk around and talk with people, and it, it's really immersive because you know if I'm in a group full of people and there are people behind me talking, it sounds like they're behind me, and I can turn around and look at them and wave to them, mm -hmm. and it tracks my whole body in VR. So I had tried out High Fidelity before, but only on my computer. You know, if you have just a computer or a phone, you don't have a VR headset, you can still walk around the world, but it is a totally different experience to actually be inside a virtual reality and feel like you're in this world. So uh, I was playing around with it today, getting it all set up. Um, it's pretty cool. I went up to this help desk when I first got there. I had my avatar. I was trying to get all set up. And they have a high fidelity employee what? at the help desk at all times waiting to help you. So I walked up to this guy. I was like waving in VR <laughs> and I filmed the whole thing. It's pretty funny. Um, but he was like walking me through different stuff. He took me to the bank and showed me how I can get some coins to because I wanted to watch. You know, all these people were wearing watches mm -hmm. to see what time it was. And I was like, oh, I want to watch. How do I get that? Oh, well, I have to buy it from another creator. So if you want your high fidelity coins, which will in the future I found not be a stable coin on EOS. Um, you can go to the bank or you can go into the money tree. So he was walking me around. But what I did today, in addition to that, which was so cool, was 
you know, VR right now is really made for experiences less than games. Like the, the, the best times I've had in VR are not playing games. It's doing some kind of an experience where you really feel teleported. You feel like you're transported to this totally different space and then you have a cool experience in VR. And I had one of those today um, where we actually went on a tour of an Egyptian tomb with a real Egyptologist who does what? this for a living. She studies this stuff. She knows the history. And... Uh, we walk down in the tomb. She's pointing out the paintings. They had all the paintings on the walls, like all the uh, the different artwork and everything within the tomb recreated just like the tomb in real life, but restored to what it would have looked like, you know, had you been there right after they finished building it. You know, it's not all faded away and everything. And she was pointing out the different um, when, images on the walls. When you told me it, you were it was taking so, a tour yeah. of a, an Egyptian tomb, I didn't know how yeah. literal you were being. Oh, very literal. Yeah, like an actual tomb. They went in and, and, you know, rebuilt, basically 3D scanned it, took photos of the stuff on the wow. walls and recreated it. It is a recreation in VR of the actual, of Nefertari's tomb, which was wild to see. Um, you know, her tomb got looted. They could sort of add back some of the stuff that they thought was there before. But what was so cool about it was that I really felt like I was in VR. Like you had this wow. real professional tour guide who does this for a living with a laser pointer pointing out stuff on the wall and I could go walk up to it and, you know, move around and it would track my head and I could like look under this part of a table and see what was under it. It was just so cool to be there, not just with the tour guide, but with, I think it was about, you know, six or seven other real people who took an hour out of their day to do wow. this tour. So. If you guys want to see more on that, it will be on the Cypherglass YouTube channel uh, in the next week or so. And if you like it, I'm going to be doing a lot more deep dives into High Fidelity because they have tons of experiences, tons of live events that they put on to really show the power of this technology and soon the power of EOS once they move a lot of the, the digital items over to the mainnet. Um, but it was awesome. If you have a VR headset out there, if you have a Rift, you have a Vive, uh, whatever, download High Fidelity and check it out because it is a one-of-a-kind experience, something that, that you'll you'll never forget. It was so cool. The crazy thing to me is I'm, I'm texting you before we started recording this and you yeah. said you were playing High Fidelity and I actually texted you to show to send you a screenshot of a tweet that High Fidelity posted. They retweeted something uh, three hours ago from the time of this recording that uh, they're actually doing a High Fidelity meetup here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on Monday night. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I guess Caitlin Dude, that's from awesome. High Fidelity is going to be giving a talk. So I'm going to video record it, uh, hopefully get to talk to some people there, and hopefully put out a cool video on that. And that was a complete that's surprise. I'm, I'm pumped. Because I, yeah, I don't have, they should have all the VR stuff as you. So I've never well, gotten... Yeah, and they should have a VR setup exactly. for you, right? Exactly. I, I, would, nice. I would think so. I'm pumped. Yeah. That's awesome. Make sure you make a, a high fidelity account before you go. I'm sure they'll have you log in. Although you could probably do it there very quickly if you needed to. But that's awesome. I'm glad they're doing real world events. And that's that's really the goal. You know, when we first found out about high fidelity, I think we, we kind of thought it was a game. We were like, oh, you know, it's a VR world. You can you know go make your own domain and host people. But it really is more of a VR experience platform where... To your point about this real, you know, seminar that they're putting on, I think High Fidelity's goal, their vision for the future is that they could see a, a Fortune 500 company, instead of flying all of their executives, you know, from all places across the world to one conference, they could have a conference in VR. And for a price less than that of a plane ticket, they could buy everybody a VR headset and a VR setup and get them in there, you know, in this virtual world where when I'm talking to you one-to-one, -one, Zach, in VR, it feels like you're right in front of me and, and you know, the audio is all matched up. If I turn to the you know, if I turn to the left, I'm going to only hear you out of this ear. Like I, it's, it, it's all very, immersive very spatially correct. So yeah, it's very, very immersive, especially when you're talking with other people and everybody in the game is so friendly. Um, so let me know how that event is. I'm, I'm excited I, to see that. I am that. super excited. I, I will let everyone know, but to, yeah. to take a step back to your, your tour. So it, yeah. it was a, a professional tour guide. So we, t we talk about yeah. why blockchain is such a big deal. Why does the internet need blockchain? What difference does it make? So if, if you were just using high fidelity as a regular user and it, this wasn't some beta test and you, you actually wanted to take this tour, from what you saw, wouldn't someone be willing to pay real money for the person's time that was spent to give you that tour? They're, they're creating this value on, on the internet. So Oh, yeah. And I think... Right now, I'm sure, you know, High Fidelity, the company itself, is paying her to kind of make these initial experiences. But you're totally right. I mean, she could, once High Fidelity itself launches as a full-on platform, they're out of beta, all kinds of people are using it. 
you know, she could give tours every day and say, hey, it's 10 bucks, 20 bucks, or a couple EOS, you know, hop into my tour. I'm going to give you the real historic look at this thing from a real Egyptologist who has studied this stuff for decades. So she was so knowledgeable. There were people in there asking questions. She was making us guess what stuff was on the walls. And, you know, a very fun experience. A lot of people laughing in there, but it was just so crazy because I felt the whole time like I was in the presence of these other people. It's, it's very, very kind of uh, shocking in a lot of ways to your system because you feel like you're transported to this new place. I, I I can't wait to check it out. I'm I'm kind of jealous that you got to play it, but kind of not because I would have to buy like probably <laughs> two. Uh, I don't know what's the minimum it would cost to get a VR setup to like just do the bare bones on this and have a good experience. You probably you're going to be spending at least a thousand dollars because you need with the current Oculus Rift or the HTC Vive, you have to hook that up to a gaming computer that is VR compatible with you know a good enough graphics card to run that. But then you also have to buy the VR headset itself. You know the Rift. I think I paid. Uh, three, $350 for, and it comes with like the hand controllers and everything. But then obviously you need the laptop and I'm using like a 1500 200, or $2,000 laptop. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it is pretty pricey to get into VR initially. That stuff is coming down. You know, HTC has a Go headset that's fully built in. You know, the computer is in there. It's totally wireless. You just charge it. That's $250. I also have that, but I use that for like watching videos and stuff because it doesn't have the full body tracking that a platform like High Fidelity needs to work. So High Fidelity does not support the Oculus Go. If you're looking at getting a headset, you have to get the Rift or the HTC Vive. But I think in the future, they will likely support more VR headsets. So it's a great marketing ploy doing these uh, physical events then because I sure as hell yeah. wouldn't be buying all of that stuff but if this just blows my mind that I'm really into it, it's something I'll maybe put down down the line of something I may purchase. We'll see. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and I'm gonna be I'll be pumping out videos on Cypherglass. So even if you can't, you know, if even if you don't put out the the thousand or fifteen hundred dollars to get the setup yourself, I'll have plenty of videos coming your way to sort of make you feel like you're there. There's this um like gaming business nearby, uh near near the, in the city that they have yeah. Oculus Rifts. So maybe I can go there ah. sometime. We could do an episode of Everything Yes in the virtual world. Yes, that would be so Let, cool. We could even, we could probably, we could have somebody build a set and we could have a little table set up and record a whole podcast. Yeah. And maybe even we could set it up ahead of time and do an event with High Fidelity where if you're out there and you want to come watch the podcast, Live audience. you could be in there live or something. Yeah, That exactly. would be awesome. It, it would be like yeah, at, we that, uh, that. Confer at the Scaling Blockchain Conference when we kind of did it in front yeah. of people. Um, yeah, where people coming up and watching. That's so true. Can, can you like see it? Like the, the, the road to mass adoption, like it, it just seems like we, every week we're getting closer and closer, like hearing like this yeah. stuff with high fidelity, seeing that Eva got the approval of their, their government to actually operate yeah. a, a, this business. That's going to create transactions on the EOS mainnet. Um, scatter, uh, they just came out with a big update 10.1. Um, yeah. So they, they added a couple of different features. I'll put the link in the description if you guys want to check it out. The feature I'm most pumped about is uh, they included like an internal DEX within the wallet itself on Scatter Desktop. Um, and Scatter works with Ethereum, Tron, and all, all EOS chains. So what this DEX allows me to do is, let's say I only have unstaked EOS in my account, but I owe... Uh, rob, let's say, 100 Pixios tokens. But I don't, if I don't own Pixios tokens, which I do, um, then I could actually have just the EOS in my account and I could send Rob those 100 Pixios and it'll actually figure out what the, the cost swap is and it'll send Rob uh, the Pixios tokens and he won't ever... Oh, it just wow. removes all of the friction. Yeah, you could do it from an exchange, huh. but how convenient is it to not even have to leave your wallet to do these types of transactions? Oh, absolutely. Well, and then for, for the average user, I think sometimes we forget just how complex an exchange interface is, even a decentralized exchange. Like I remember walking through my dad for the first time, like, oh yeah, when you want to, you know, if you want to buy more EOS, you just take your Bitcoin, you send it here, you're going to deposit this, you're going to do that, you're going to come down to this. Like it's very complex mm -hmm. for the average person who's never seen a chart before, who's never seen an exchange before, for them to understand how to convert tokens. So tools like Bancor obviously do this, but tools like Scatter that take it a step further and have it built into your wallet, I think are amazing because, you know, it's going to sort of eliminate the need for a lot of the mainstream users to step outside of their comfort zone on an exchange when they can just do that exchange within their wallet. So this is pretty cool. And, um, you know, shout out to Scatter and uh, the whole team over there for making this happen. What I like about it is let's say you used the Send EOS app around Christmas time and you sent a relative like $100 worth of EOS tokens. You set them up with yeah. a wallet. Maybe you installed Scatter on their computer. 
uh, they could now pretty much, if they found an application they wanted to play, they wouldn't have to know about what exchange they could swap. They could just say, okay, I, I need these tokens. And you could just do the swap within your wallet. You don't have to do it. Wow. I don't have to send it to Rob. I could swap my tokens internally. I could swap, let's say I want 10 EOS worth of karma or something. I could, I could do that within the wallet. So it, huh. it, it's nothing that couldn't be done by people like us and probably the people watching. But you got to think back to when you're first getting into this stuff, how, how complicated everything seemed. And yeah. it, it's really cool to see the friction slowly getting removed from each layer of every application from wallets to decentralized Ubers to w whatever is, is going to be next. Um, yeah. So shout out to the Scatter team uh, for making really cool tools. Um, and speaking of which, I actually recorded a podcast with Peter Kay, uh, also known as Bitkenstein. Uh, he's, he's been using a lot of these tools, and basically we recorded a podcast of him uh, talking about some of the ones he's been using that have really uh, been shortening the timeframes it requires for him to develop things. So he mentioned Defuse API, which is built by EOS Canada. He mentioned the Scatter.js and a, a product called EOS Studio, which only has about 55 people in their Telegram group currently. And he was really excited <laughs> to share that with everyone. And he kind of explains what value it brings and he wants uh, developers to start using it too because of how much time it shaved off of his development. So look forward to that That's awesome. next week. Uh, I should have it edited pretty early in the week, let's say Monday or Tuesday. Uh, but I'm excited about that because I am not a develop. I'm not a blockchain developer. I, I can't really talk about how useful these tools are, except uh, based on what people tell me and what I read on the blogs on the releases. So it's really cool right. to have someone's perspective that's using all of these different tools and picking all these pieces and putting them all together to just have a really efficient dev stack. So I'm excited to share Absolutely. that with everyone. I mean yeah, I'm excited to listen to that too. I haven't seen the podcast, obviously, so I'm, I'm just excited to hear it. I spoke with uh, Bickenstein earlier today. He's helping out with uh, a little bit of contract work, but it, I know just from knowing him and knowing how much he's sort of dove in headfirst into the EOS ecosystem over the last couple months, I can't wait to, to hear what he's found out because it sounds like he's found some pretty instrumental tools, so I'm looking forward to that as well. All right, so um, last thing we have to talk about, uh, something we're both invested in for uh, disclosure purposes, Pixios was yep. featured in Forbes magazine, or for, not Forbes magazine, yeah. Forbes.com. Yeah. And Bloomer actually, uh, Brendan Bloomer uh, actually retweeted it, which I thought was pretty cool because it means yeah. he sees what they're doing. I, I think they're doing amazing stuff. So you want to kind of introduce uh, Pixios a little bit? Yeah, so Pixios, you know, if you haven't been following along these last couple episodes, it's an art gamification platform. So it combines a couple different things. It has a game that's very similar to Pixel Master, but has more longevity built in. It has an NFT, a non-fungible token auction house for art. So basically what an NFT allows you to do is, you know, if you make a new meme, for example, Zach, if you're out there, <laughs> you know, you're, you're putting together a meme and you want to say, hey, this is mine. I made it first before it goes viral. You can actually create an NFT, a non-fungible unique token for that meme and basically claim it as yours. You could even sell the original to other people and claim it as yours. But what's cool is you can also do that with physical artwork as well. So they'll have the ability in the future for you to, you know, hey, I just made this painting. I want to track the provenance on the blockchain, which is a very big issue in the art and collectible space and actually gives artwork a lot of its value based on how good the provenance is tracked. But now you can take that physical artwork, track the provenance on the blockchain, um, and, and so much more. The platform really has a lot of interesting facets to it, but ultimately I think the pieces that people are going to use the most are the, the sort of Pixel Master style game and then, you know, the NFT auction house. So I'm super excited about it. But Forbes was cool to see. I think the biggest reason why so many media outlets are picking up on this, you know, this wasn't the first time. Coindesk, who obviously isn't quite as big as Forbes, but is very big in the, the crypto community, wrote an article about them as well, which was good to see because they very rarely write uh, positive articles about <laughs> EOS. So to see them come out and write something positive about how this actually has the potential to, you know, get us closer to mainstream adoption, it was very cool to see finally, you know, them highlighting this. Forbes, of course, now highlighting that as well. Brendan Bloomer retweeting it. It's just so awesome to see people on board with Pixios because I truly believe that the team behind it is going to do great things, that the platform is going to be very successful. Um, obviously, that's not investment advice, <laughs> um, but I'm just hyped about it and, and excited to see what happens. The, the thing that I was most impressed with with Pixios, and I waited until about five hours before the, the first round of like pre-sale or whatever closed before I finally oh, wow. went in because I, I, we're in a bear market. Like I'm a very skeptical investor whenever I've been getting wrecked over and over again for months. So <laughs> I've mostly just been holding my ears and haven't even looked at prices or even thought about buying or trading anything new. But 
the the buzz around this project is so real. If you're in any EOS Telegram group, you you can't not see it because of all of these little 8-bit avatars you see. So everyone who's supporting this project has a, a special avatar and they actually just made a tool recently. We'll put the link in the description that lets you yeah. make your own avatar to, to kind of blend in with everyone else. But before, I, I think the Pixios team, I, I, they were, uh, they were actually making these uh, picture avatars for anyone who would ask them for them. And what it allowed was, I mean, whenever you're in a Telegram group, all you see is people's profile picture and their name. And with the names, you usually see people who are involved with projects because like mine says, Zach Gall, everything EOS. Uh, but then you have your profile picture and that's another way to show your support. And it was just so cool because I'd say, what do you think? Like 30, 40% of the community had all changed their profile pictures to, to these little yeah. pixelated faces. It was, it was unreal. Yeah. And it, it's kind of like a herd it's, mentality. I was like, well, I, I know you've been, Rob has been telling me about the good things about the project. Um, and the articles, uh, I, 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 and then the GIF contest, I think, was part of it too. So I made the GIF. So I had, yeah. I had to, I had to get involved with it uh, after the <laughs> GIF. But when I say get involved, I'm more excited to actually use the platform than than like helping them out with the presale. I just wanted to support the project because it's still really early. Uh, the white paper has a. a, a pretty ambitious roadmap because the application that Rob mentioned with the NFTs is just one piece of what they're building. They actually have several applications that they're all kind of, uh, how, how would you explain what they're like an ecosystem is what they're actually trying to build. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, it's really an art ecosystem on the blockchain. And to your point about all the different, you know, people who have these pixelated avatars now, a lot of those people that are in the Telegram are artists who were not a part of the crypto community at all before Fred, the, the guy, you know, one of the founders of Pixios, basically got them interested in the project and Stella Bell, who's done so much for it as well. And, you know, the rest of the team, of course. Um, but that's when we talk about mainstream adoption, we're talking about these people who have never touched crypto before coming in and using it for the first time. And there are so many artists using or getting ready to use Pixios and, you know, educating themselves on EOS, getting a wallet set up because of this new dApp. And the more people we can get that are making EOS accounts just to use a dApp or join a community, which is more of what Pixios is, this collaborative art community, um, you know, the, the better off we're all going to be when it comes to, to making EOS the blockchain platform of the future. So I'm excited about what they're doing. That's why, you know, we at Cypherglass, we announced recently, you know, as a collection of all the partners, put in about 35,000 EOS in the presale. The reason we announced this was just to show, I, you know, behind I like the, the scenes, transparency, we're doing a lot. Rob, because it, yeah. it's like we talk about a lot of projects on this show. Some of them we own, some of them we, some of them we don't. Some of the stuff we mention the most right. is, is stuff I, I own nothing of, but I just support good yeah. projects. So I liked the transparency factor of you making that announcement. And it's kind of, it, I, I, there's other block producers who do similar things. Like uh, some of them will announce before they make a big RAM purchase. I, I like that level of transparency right. from a block producer. So with those 35,000 EOS tokens, but then also the strategic partnership value that you bring also, like how are you supporting Pixios? Why did you feel the need to, to share this information beyond just giving transparency to the situation? Yeah, so we have a, uh, I guess you could call it like a DAP incubation program at Cypherglass. So a lot of people don't know, we actually supported Monster EOS, which was the very <laughs> first DAP to launch on EOS. It's kind of like a, a 3D version of CryptoKitties where you can, you know, raise your monster, feed it, battle it with other people. Pretty fun, you know, sort of proof of concept on the blockchain that I believe they're building out into a more, you know, fully featured game. But we support them with things like, um, you know, we bought some RAM for them. We, we run servers to keep their actual game online. We give them unrestricted access to the Cypherglass API to make sure all their transactions can go through on time. Um, we do a lot to really help them out. Uh, with Monster EOS, we haven't really helped on the marketing side. And that's where, in addition to what we're doing for Monster EOS, we're doing for Pixios, but we're also helping them on the marketing side, helping them with community. Um, you know, Ben and my brother, or not Ben and my brother, Ben, <laughs> my brother, and myself both went to art school. Ben, though, is way, way, way more connected in the art world than I am. Knows tons of people, you know, from his college, from the local art community, uh, people who run other art businesses that we're talking to about, you know, integrating with Pixios in some way. So the the real value add, other than the money that we put up, you know, close to 100 grand that we invested into the, the Pixios presale, other than that, 
it's you know strategic advisory on or not not so much advisory but more of a strategic partnership on saying you know hey you know i like that part of the token economics what if we could also add this to it to make it a little more appealing oh what if we could add an incentive here um you know ben is going to be a judge on an upcoming contest i'm a judge on the gift contest there's there's really a lot that we're doing um, to try to add as much value into the Pixios platform as possible, but also more importantly, to get new people, new artists, new art businesses into EOS through Pixios. You know, it's kind of this this art community on the blockchain. So mm -hmm. that's really the value that we're adding. And we hope to add that value in other products in the future by not only being sort of a marketing voice for the community to let people know this is happening, but also to add real strategic value, um, you know, all of that other stuff that I mentioned. So we're super excited about it. So you mentioned the the GIF judging. So I just want to, for transparency, yeah. Rob had nothing to do with my GIF. I made it on my own. I speak for myself yeah, on correct. this show. Anything I say or write or whatever, it's all me. I made the damn meme. Yeah. I should be eligible to win if the other judges agree. Rob could abstain from that vote, oh, but I want those damn yeah, thousand I'll, EOS or whatever the hell it is. I want those EOS. I'll pass on that vote <laughs> 100%. I think they're giving away, it's, it's either EOS or Pixios, but I do know that there are other contests coming in the future um, that they it will be for pretty significant prizes, probably the biggest prize that we've ever seen given away by an EOS DAP. So I'm excited about that. That's going to be very, very, very cool when that's finally released. I think that's a good spot to close out. So basically, it seems like the theme of the show has just been mainstream adoption. How are we going to get there? What are we doing to help with that, help facilitate that? What's Cypherglass doing to help facilitate it? Uh, shout out to Pixios for sponsoring this podcast. We plan to yeah. have the same conversation whether they, they chose to sponsor it or not. But up until now, it's been Cypherglass as the only sponsor of this podcast. So it's nice to see a project uh, that sees the value in what we bring to the community and actually helped support me in the show uh, by sponsoring this episode. So shout out to Pixios. Uh, anything else, Rob? Uh, I think the only other thing I would say is, you know, the just to echo your point, none of the content of the podcast changes when we do have an additional sponsor, whether it's Cypherglass or in this case, you know, that Pixios ad that you heard or watched at the very beginning. If you're out there, maybe you're running a DAP, maybe you run an exchange, whatever it is, if you're interested in advertising on everything EOS and having that that very brief ad spot at the beginning of the podcast, um, please reach out to us. You know, we're available on Telegram, t.me slash everything underscore EOS. We would love to talk to you about it. Of course, you know, we do turn down a lot of advertisements that we don't really believe in or we don't think fit with the show. But, you know, if you're out there, if you're working in the EOS community and you want to advertise, please hit us up. All right. So that's a wrap. Once again, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. Go EOS. <laughs>